It's the podcast specifically for the Australian country music industry. Our country. Conversations with prominent Australian country music identities. Recorded and produced in Tamworth, Australia's country music capital at Radio 2TM. And now, the host of our country, 2TM presenter and award-winning singer-songwriter, Sally Ann Whitten. Welcome to the next episode of Our Country, a series of podcasts for the country music industry, all about the country music industry. And for something a little bit different, I did ask him to sing a song, but uh, he negated and said he'd rather just have a chat. Joining me today for our episode is uh, Barry Harley, a man who's been involved with the Country Music Festival for as long as I can remember, now works for Tamworth Region. Council. How are you, Barry? I'm well, I'm well, and I'm glad you actually allowed me not to sing a song because that would have shortened the podcast for a bit. One at a time. But, we don't but, know that. <laughs> singing is not one of my strong suits. <laughs> well, you can't be good at everything, you know. That's what I keep saying. So, Baz, you've been one of the most prominent faces of the Tamworth Country Music Festival for as long as I can remember, and I've been, you know, born and bred in Tamworth my whole life, involved in the festival my whole life. So can you give us a little bit of a rundown on how you first got involved with the Tamworth Country Music Festival? Well, probably um, not a reluctant participant, but an accidental participant. As much as I started my working career at a Maya store, which was um, in Peel Street where Target is now. Yeah. And I was in the display department, but I was the show card and ticket writer. Which really? Is a, is a forgotten art now, but I used to do all the signage and things like that. And occasionally, the Max Ellis's of the world, who were recently in the late 60s um, employed by 2DM, started to promote country music. And they came in to me and my boss at the time, who was a silk screener, to get the posters made for touring artists like Dusty and Reg Lindsay and, you know, Tex Morton and, you know, and Buddy Williams and those sorts of things. So every time 2DM brought a uh, an artist through, I was actually involved in doing their artwork. I certainly wasn't a country music fan per se. Yeah. The late 60s, when they declared Tamworth to be country music capital, I was involved with some of the artwork then. And then in the early 70s, um, when they decided to run the awards and then create what is now the Awards Festival, um, they asked me in 1973 to actually design and build the award set, uh, typically of Max Ellis and TDM at the time. There was no money. That may not have changed, actually. <laughs> no, you're right. <laughs> Spot on. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, I declined that because I just wasn't in a position to do so. So 73 and 74, a colleague of mine who worked in the advertising department at, at Meyer, uh, Ian Fenton, he actually um, built the sets for... Uh, the awards in 73 and 74 and then in, and after 74 he said I can't do these anymore, could you do them so I started building the sets and designing the sets uh, from 1975 and which I continued to do right the way through until oh goodness, until they found someone who actually knew what they were doing um, <laughs> and that was probably late 90s I guess and, oh wow um, and then, um, you know, and then obviously I've had an ongoing relationship with the festival and the awards for other reasons because during that time I joined um, 2DM in 1979, uh, worked with them until 1985, then went off and worked for myself for a few years and then ultimately ended up working for the Northern Daily Leader. Uh, and that company that owned the Northern Daily Leader bought back the residual 
of the BAL Marketing 2TM, which had the uh, elements of the festival and the country music elements. Rural Press bought them in 1995 and asked me to go back and manage. And so basically from 1995 through to about four or five years ago, I worked with Rural Press and all those country music elements, including Cap News, the official guide, Star Maker, Coca-Cola. And then in 2015 or 2016, um, I convinced the council to actually purchase those products and now they're sitting uh, in the collective care of council for the community um, as a continuation virtually of the same people. Wow. That is a huge... You know, I mean, you were there for what I think was probably some of the biggest changes. You would have seen all sorts of things for the Tamworth Country Music Festival. You would have seen it from its bare root minimum beginnings to what it is now. You've been really a part of that um, the whole way through. Absolutely. And uh, look, I've, I've always chosen to be the the back room uh, boy. I'm not not one that's actually sought to be um, out the front and be noticed and all the rest of it. Just like hundreds and hundreds of other people that have worked behind the scenes to make the festival and the country music industry indeed to what it is today. Um, and I was happy to be that, you know, just one of those many people. In latter years, because of roles that I was have been in, I've probably had that uh, artificial elevation a little bit. My face has turned up far too often on television, or <laughs> or my voice on radio, or my or, you know the face in the newspaper. But um, I always see that as representing the dozens, if not hundreds, of people behind the scene. I certainly certainly don't see it as a personal uh, single single life achievement. But um, I've been proud to be associated, and we've actually come a long way up and down we've had lots of little um, you know humps and bumps along the way but we've been privileged to see the halcyon days of the festival the changes of the festival the changes in the music and uh, but we're still really comfortable to say that it's still a big big family and, and to be part of that family is very very important and it's um, and it's humbling you know, it's funny, everybody, all the artists and all of the, the management teams and people involved uh, with the festival and the country music industry in Australia all say the same thing, that it's part of, it's one big family, maybe not so happy all the time, but mostly <laughs> like a normal family, just, um, you know, real part of something really special. And interesting, uh, you know, I spoke, I've spoken to, luckily, Joy McKean at one stage, I had a chat with her about the festival and how it's evolved and, and the country music industry and people like Max but I'd be interested to hear your spin on how, I mean, obviously the country music industry has massively changed during all that time, but how do you think the perception, uh, living in Tamworth, especially during all that time, how do you think the perception of country music has changed during that period? I mean, one of the, you know, one of the many things that often not country music fans will say, oh, you should have other types of music at the festival and things like that. But what's happened in 49 years is the music has changed organically. Mm. And there's a lot of, you know, fors and against how that's changed. But I reckon, you know, a, sto- a, a, a song and a song title that encapsulates that is Slim's song, Looking Forward, Looking Back, yes. which was oddly written by Don Walker, part of Cold Chisel. Yep. So you get an amalgam of, um, of genres there when you've got, you know, probably one of the greatest rock acts of uh, Australian history sort of writing great songs, including Looking Forward, Looking Back. But in Looking Forward, Looking Back, that really is the nexus of what makes the country music industry so interesting and potentially so successful 
successful is that with one eye on where we came from and always respecting that history and that pioneer spirit that uh, that started the whole country music genre. It's not country and Western music, that's an American term. Exactly. It's country music, and it's essentially songs about our country. And uh, and they and so over the years, the style of music has altered, but the but the content is still very much the same. It is evocative and emotional songs about our country, which could include the city, and that's led to some of those changes in the sound of music and and so you know like a real died in the world country music person says ah oh, you know the country music you listen to nowadays is just nothing but rock or country rock well true to a point except it is still the contemporary version of passing on information or stories about our country and uh, but we still should keep an eye on that back looking back at um, at where we came from and those great bush balladeers um, that set the path, that did all the touring, that actually set us up to allow us to actually have a separate industry called country music. Yeah, that's exactly right. You've hit the nail on the head there. Um, and I think the Americans do that really well and I think that's why in America country music is as big as it is. I think it's one of, if not the, well it was at one point, the biggest selling genre of music in the United States. But they do that so well. Um, there doesn't seem to be as much sort of division about new and old. They really, um, the new people coming through know exactly where they've come from. They're always paying tribute to the, the people who paved the way for them and they and managed to integrate the new and the old really well together and I think that's the secret to making country music because oh, I'm such an expert listen to me <laughs> but <laughs> no, think, no but you're, you're absolutely correct absolutely correct yeah. the Americans have the numbers I mean that well, that's there's a right. subtle difference there's a subtle difference if you appeal to 1% in an American audience you're a multi-millionaire yes if you appeal to 1% in Australia you, you've got to have a second job at IGA yeah. second <laughs> shelves you know so it's all about numbers but yes. it's very similar and look another another um Way, way to look at how much more challenging um, having the country music genre uh, being significant in Australia is that uh, 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 just, a, uh, just a statistic, in, 19, in 1914-15 when the First World War started, 65% of Australia's population came from regional or rural Australia. Now... 85% of Australia's population lives within 100 kilometres of the eastern seaboard. Mm. And so what we've seen is a percentage reduction with the number of people that live in regional rural Australia, therefore reduction in the number of people that want to know about what's happening in regional rural Australia and songs about the country. And that's why it's so important that country music embraces songs about urban life as well. But if you sort of take that on board, and also as another statistic, last year Sydney acknowledged that for the first time that more than 50% of Sydney's population was not born in Australia. And so you've got this multiculturalism that comes in and, and a lot of multicultural um, people love country music because it's where they actually learn about Australia. Mm. But it's, um, it's just that numbers game, you know, that um, more and more people uh, are living on, on the eastern seaboard and are less interested in knowing what, what happens in Australian life. And so mm. that's, that's even more and more reason why we need to work so hard to actually make country music that significant genre that it is. And that's why Tamworth is so important in projecting because there's nowhere else other than Nashville in, in the United States that can actually own a, a country music, a music genre, and uh, Tamworth has done that well for well over 49 
49 years, but certainly celebrating 49 years as we speak. That's some really interesting points, Barry, and I think that must change then. I mean, part of your job and your team's job is to promote Tamworth and promote the festival, and I guess that means country music in Australia in general to all parts of Australia. So with all of those demographics in mind, you know, people from overseas, people who don't know anything about living in in the country or don't identify with trucks and utes and dogs so much, uh, which are all the things that we typically associate with country music. How do you change that perception of country music and how do you get the word out about that to across Australia about the festival? Well, it's, it's you, you've hit it. Um, it is a very, very difficult job because, unfortunately, our budget isn't um, endless, and so we have to be very strategic in what we do. But broadly, in our marketing message, we break it into three areas. We we have a good proportion of our marketing that spend uh, attracting the rusted-on fans, the grey nomads, the people we know that are generally interested because they're wandering aimlessly around town or they are dyed-in-the-wool country music fans. But in the last few years, we've actually also highlighted families because country music is a very family-orientated music, and so it doesn't, you know, you can be 8 or 80 and still enjoy country music. So we've been really actively engaging families to come to Tamworth and to experience the very friendly and safe atmosphere that we can project. And the and the and the third area is that eighteen to thirty five year old group that we know if they come, even if they're not country music fans, we know if we can get them here for a day or so, they would actually have a fantastic time, and they will discover that good music is good music. Mm. Don't put a label on it, yes. you know whether whether you, whether you think you like it or not. Um, good music is good music, and they will have a good time. So we've been actively engaged in that marketing message to attract those with very very strong results you know and and although it's generally accepted that country music crowds are older um, on average we've actually dramatically reduced the average age of the visitors to Tamworth over the last five years from 55 to 49 now that doesn't sound much but to statistically reduce by six years is quite a phenomenal exercise and that means and you can see it anecdotally as well as scientifically the number of younger families that are coming and they become the future fans for country music mm. as well and they're indoctrinated in whatever area they want to if they like bush ballads they'll be indoctrinated in that if they like a contemporary country rock act or a blues or or a bluegrass or what have you they'll find that element and they can enjoy it because as i said it sounds a bit cliche but good music is good music yeah of course it is that's right and um, that's one of my things i'm always telling people about you know it makes me laugh when people say things like they love paul kelly but they hate country music or you know they love the eagles but they think country music's dorks or you know i say don't put a label on it because most of the time you could be listening to country music and you don't even know and you'll like it so i think that's really important yeah absolutely and you know and and it's funny how we and we all guilty of it i suppose when we sort of you know fall into those um into those specific areas but the number of people that hate country music but love casey chambers as the example Yeah. yeah casey chambers is quintessentially the most country music, yes. the country sounding singer you can find. You know, she's she's got that nasal twang. She sings about the bush. She yep. does all unapologetically that too. Yeah, yep. <laughs> unapologetically. Yep. And other people that follow that similar own, like Catherine Catherine Britt, yep. and uh, you know those sorts of people. Well, it's really interesting that apparently we've defined those now as alternate because I don't know yes. because they're not country music. But um, but it's really interesting, and uh, but the more people that can become 
uh, in tune with, you know, what we identify as country music, the better off we are. Because the end result for Tamworth is that being the only city or town that can identify with a genre of music is, is you know, hundreds and hundreds of people's activities over, over nearly 50 years. However, um, the end result is that that little influx of, of 30, 40,000 people per day for 10 days in January leave in the town something in the order of $50 million worth of economic impact. You could just imagine this community without $50, $50 million worth of impact, you know. We, yes, we're suffering with COVID and we're suffering with all these other elements and bushfires and things like that, but that's, that is a strength that no other city or town in Australia can actually boast, um, and we should all be very proud of that. Absolutely. The um, the benefits, not, I mean, not just economically, but I think all around are extraordinary, and, and the flow-on effects of that too. So that's we're just talking about in January when people come here, but people come here and they love it, so they come back in May, bring, bringing their friends back for a long weekend and to see the band that they saw that was going to be in town that weekend. You know, you can't, you can't put a value on that. It's... It's, no, um, and, and it is the knock-on, and people say, you know, it might be an engineering works in Tamindra or something that says, well, country music does nothing for me, or the country music festival does nothing for me. But that's wrong, because the money that some of these businesses and individuals earn over that 10-day or 15-day period, they've got to spend some time, mm. and so they might put a pool in the yard, yes. and they might need a fence or whatever, and so that knock-on impact of that $50 million uh, goes on all year round, and there are businesses that survive just on that impact of uh, of that festival period, you know. And I've had businesses tell me that um, the 10 days in January is equivalent to an average of two months trading in their normal business time. Wow. That's how, that's how important country music is, even to people who don't like country music. Yeah, <laughs> funnily enough. <laughs> funnily enough. <laughs> so, Baz, the Tamworth Country Music Festival has been named one of the top five festivals, just general festivals in the world. What is it that makes that so special, do you think? Well, probably it, its unique facility probably makes it the most difficult one to market as well because nobody owns it. I think that's uh, that's really, really important that, um, that in its early days, you'd probably argue that 2DM was responsible for it, but they weren't uh, curating it, you know, so mm. they... So as as marketers, and then and you know, fast forward fifty years to us, um, we can't go to a venue and say you must play blues, you must play bluegrass, and you do this, which would normally happen at a normal festival. Mm. You know, the owner of the festival would curate it and say, oh, "I'm going to have X, Y, Z playing, what have you." Now that is what makes it so different, and that's what makes it organically changing. You know, so each year, the same music isn't necessarily there. There has been a transit. The music we listen to in the 70s and the 80s is completely different to the music that's being played uh, currently. And so that's that's the unique part of it, whereas, you know, there's over 700 artists come to town of which we as organisers only would control 25 of those, you know, or 30. Mm -hmm. So there's 650 other artists doing exactly what they want wherever they want plus 300-odd buskers down the main street that actually are doing their stuff. So the 
it makes it difficult for us to actually have a lineup, you know, like a normal festival has. They have a poster that says that Sally Ann Whitten is on as a headliner and Barry Harley's there as well. <laughs> but we've got to have a poster about, you know, a kilometre long to actually get 700 yeah. names on. So yep. there are some difficulties, but that's the unique fascination. And all our surveys indicate, it's funny, um, we've done comprehensive surveys with our partner, Destination New South Wales, over the last five years. And the open-ended question, one of the open-ended questions we ask is, what is the reason you come to Tamworth? You would expect the answer to be music, but the first answer is atmosphere, and the second most uh, given answer is to see emerging bands. And when you think about it, Tamworth is the only opportunity for emerging bands to get an opportunity to apply their trade, because when you go to any other festival... It's just the lineup, yeah, and and very seldom you'd actually get an emerging band in there, so you can't get it. So Tamworth has created that the importance for itself as being the stepping stone, the vital starting point, whether it be busking or whether it be a competition like Star Maker or uh, one of the many talent quests around town. Um, you know, even Coca Cola walk up concerts. This is the opportunity where somebody who is developing or has an ambition to be a country music star or an artist at least can come to Tamworth and ply their trade and be appreciated by uh, those people coming as evidenced in that uh, survey that if the number two reason is to see emerging acts, um, that's why a good proportion of our people come to Tamworth. Isn't that interesting? Because um, a, a lot of the people who loudly complain about things about the festival are the opposite of that. So that's very, there's, they're obviously a very small minority. So that is very interesting. Doesn't surprise me at all, I must say, but, and I'm very pleased to hear that that's what people are all actually saying. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that's interesting. That we have the headliners here as well. I mean, yeah, of know, course, yeah. Like, you know, I mean, for us to actually be able to say at any time that we, you know, have those well-known names like the Casey Chambers, the Lee Koenigans, Troy Casadani, Becky Coles, you know, Adam Harvey, all those sorts of people. It's important that they're here as well because they see, in most cases, Tamworth has been the starting point for them as well. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you see, you know, like Casey Chambers um, touring with her family band, they used to be busking on Peel Street probably 25 years ago, yeah. you know. Um, and gone where, uh, you know, and a, a more contemporary version, you know, a Travis Collins busked. One star maker has one golden guitars, you know, so there is this sort of natural transition through. And, um, you know, a mate of mine or a colleague of mine, a senior music industry person, said if you don't make it in Tamworth, you don't make it in the industry. And so the, the reverse of that is you've got to make it in Tamworth before you make it in the industry. So it's so important. And again, that's another reason why the festival is so important to everybody. So, you know, emerging artists and established artists, I think it's um, so important that we keep the festival going as, as it is. Speaking of which, um, I mean, you know, COVID's going to make the next one a complete exception to all the rules. We know that. But, um, but generally speaking, outside of COVID, what is the future vision? What kind of vision do you have for the future of the Tamworth Country Music Festival? Well, we've 
COVID is being a bit of a, a, a nuisance. Mm. You know, understatement of the year. <laughs> understatement <laughs> of the year. But 2022 represents the 50th anniversary of the awards festival. And so behind the scenes, we've been putting a lot of planning into what we can actually do both promotionally and experience, and then the experience of the 50th festival. So where we would have loved to have been bouncing off a very successful 2021 into 2022 for the 50th, It'll be a different launching pad because uh, we still don't know what 2021 is going to look like, mm. and uh, and and hopefully, uh, certainly by you know 2022, we'd love to think that COVID has completely disappeared. But but for the 50th anniversary, you know, we'd be looking at um, providing the experience to actually have a look back over the 50 years, having a look forward, um, having some experiences that we haven't been able to uh, have, you know, in terms of maybe some artists who have done extremely well, you know, formerly Australian artists that might be overseas, you know, and sort of adding that experience because the cornerstone in all of this is the Golden Guitar Awards. And and what that does is, one, it singles out Tamworth as being, you know, the only city festival that has an awards as an anchor. But when you look at it, the the awards celebrates the previous year excellence in Australian country music and so it's there but it also signals the start of the new year uh, for country music to actually kick along yeah. in, in its tour in its touring and so we'd be looking at 2022 particularly after a COVID effect of 2021 to be not only a massive celebration of 50 years of country music and the previous year of country music but a massive massive launching pad for a uh, for a 2022 season that hopefully would be the best that we can actually develop for our country music um, participants. Well, that's something to look forward to. <laughs> After all this, COVID, that's all I can say. <laughs> After all this stuff. Well, it'll be fun. You know, regardless, it'll be a lot of fun and that'll be a massive sort of marketing exercise and we can expect the town to swell even greater um, we've got a bit of experience from the 40th where we know that we actually increased our crowds by about 10% uh, in, in the 40th anniversary and we're hoping that we could actually do that so the entire community and the businesses can benefit and perhaps catch up on that COVID-affected version of, uh, of 2020 and 2021. Yeah, fingers crossed. I'm sure that's exactly what will happen. Um, by then things will be, well, we don't know, but we can only assume that they will be back to, to normal to some sort of normal. The new normal. Yeah, exactly. Whatever that looks like. So, Barry, in all your time um, from the 70s that you've been involved right through to the now with the Country Music Festival in Tamworth, what what are some of the major obstacles to putting that, or not obstacles, but challenges, shall we say, of putting on a festival like that? As you say, no one owns it. So you're really, the council are kind of, I think there's this perception for people who come every year that the council own it and they organise everything, which is not not at all the no. case. No, it's not true. Um, so as you were saying before, that can also be, probably create some challenges in itself. But um, what from your end of business, what are some of the biggest things that you've had to overcome in pulling that festival together? I think... Um yeah, the challenge are always there because we don't own it. Um, and we like to think that we actually put the best representation forward of the entire community. So we've got a very, very strong philosophical view that the Tamworth Festival should be the celebration of Australian excellence. We don't, we don't leave out international acts deliberately. They're quite welcome to come. But we are guilty of, of 
really emphasising that we want to actually celebrate Australian excellence. Good. So that so that in itself is a is a challenge because a good percentage of the fan base like um, that international music and other festivals across Australia um, do you know do that very well, bring in international acts and put on shows and things like that. But it's 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 a challenge because we know it could be seen by some as detriment, but we unashamedly are promoting Australian country music excellence, and we believe that's where Tamworth's foundation is, and uh, so we'll continue that. So that in itself is a challenge to actually still celebrate um, that Australianness, and but still actually give the fans what they want. But I think by history, you know, despite the fact we were affected in 2020 by um, uh, bushfires and things like that, we can still attract that sort of, you know, 20, 30, 40,000 people per day across the 10 days. So we must be sort of grinding through and still getting that. But in terms of other challenges, every time there are rules and regulations and um, uh, uh, just sort of these other little challenges that are brought to bear that make providing... Um, uh, entertainment for the masses, you know, things like the cavalcade, you know, the the additional uh, uh, things that we have to do now to for hostile vehicle mitigation because of potential terrorism and all those sorts of things. They're all sort of locked in as as ongoing challenges which we which we have to actually uh, overcome with risk assessments and OHMS and all those bits and pieces. So. But they're, they're the technical things that we have to deal with. Um, to be on top of the change of music, to try and work with the stakeholders to make sure that what we're supplying is in line with what they would want, and that can change from, from stakeholder to stakeholder, whether it be a venue or, a, or an artist or an industry or what have you. So it's about, you know, I guess is communication. You know, we think we communicate well, but a challenge is communicating better. And uh, But bottom line is that we try and get the entire... There's many people as possible on the same on the same direction and head for it, and hopefully, with everyone's help, we end up with what is always a very successful um, festival. And that's due not just to council, but due to the dozens, if not hundreds, of stakeholders that actually all, all come together and make it happen. Yeah, we haven't had a bad one yet, Perry. It's just uh, gets better every year. I love it. <laughs> but uh, but you know, over the years, I think part of our part of our um, colourful history is that we've probably ignored the cha- the challenges mm-hmm. in the past. We've actually just gone and head and done stuff. You know, mm-hmm. like you know, back in the in the late seventies, early eighties. You know, when we outgrown the town hall for the awards, we went and pitched a tent, you yes. know, the largest circus tent in the southern hemisphere. We pitched it down on what the essentially where the playground is now, the uh, regional playground. And from memory, we didn't apply for any DAs or building certificates <laughs> or anything. We just went and put it up. And then, you know, but if you thought it through, you would never have done that because that was a massive logistic exercise. And then after three years there and a big storm coming and nearly blowing us away on the third year, we then moved over to a, a vehicle bodybuilding factory called JCAB where we um, turned that factory into a, the largest auditorium in Australia at the time because that was was before Entertainment Centre in Sydney, and uh, we accidentally had this largest, um, uh, as I said, licensed building in Australia. But we didn't intend to do that. We just did it because it was necessity, and we just uh, uh, ignored the challenge. In a way, we went did that for two years, and then variously through other 
school halls and what have you. And um, and I think just that blind faith that um, there was enough people to support your idea that you just pushed through and 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 got stuff done. And I think that's it. And I think the you know if you're looking for the the cornerstone of what makes country music the country music family great is they just get out and get stuff done. They're, they're the first people to put their hand up in a in a tragedy and they're um, you know to help out and they're the, and uh, they just they just got this great drive that nothing stands in the way and they just get stuff done. Yeah, that is so true. We, and as you say, we've seen that time and time again. Lots of challenges and uh, obstacles and floods and <laughs> storms <Yeah>. and. <laughs> Yeah. Now we've got COVID, so just one more thing to overcome, <laughs> but we'll do it. Yeah, yeah, COVID we'll cup, yeah. <laughs> so, Baz, finally before you go, and thank you, by the way, for uh, for taking part in our podcast. It's really interesting insights into what makes the festival the festival and, and you know, what goes on behind closed doors. Um, but you did say right at the beginning that you weren't per se a country music fan per se. So the big question that we all want to know is have we converted you? <laughs> good music is good music in my, in my library because of my age you know very the twilight years um obviously i'm i'm a i'm a student of the beatles and you know fleetwood mac and yes of course. you know and, and all of those uh, you know international bands of the of the 60s 70s and the 80s um but in my library i have a very strong collection of of country music and um, uh, including Sally Ann Whitman. And, oh, uh, good answer. <laughs> good answer. <laughs> <laughs> but um, and and probably the you know the most live shows that I probably see in any one year would be country music oriented. Yes, I go and see Elton John and Paul McCartney and um, you know Cat uh, Stevens, and but I also go and see as many live country music acts as I possibly can because it's so important to be supporting that industry that um, has supported me. Well, I'm pleased that we won you over. That's uh, over <laughs> to the dark side. You've got excellent taste in music, can I just say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. So to, actually, to actually be able to appreciate all types of music is, um, is also important because Absolutely. it does give you a, a clear understanding of how good and how important country music is to the, uh, to the music uh, industry as well. Yep, without a doubt. Barry, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today and so good to, we often just catch up quickly to talk about whatever's going on, but we've never had a chance to talk about this kind of stuff. So about what makes country music tick and about how the festival gets up and going and some of the challenges that you face. So again, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to be part of our Our Country podcast here at 2TM. And you've got to rest in the knowledge that you fellas are responsible for it. You know, TDM some 55, 56 years ago started this whole country music phenomena, um, which has developed the industry. Without TDM, there'd be no country music industry. It'd just be another form of music. But um, so you've got to take some responsibility in it out there. And uh, and albeit that perhaps you weren't around in 1966 when they kicked off, um, you're around now and you're maintaining and holding that flag high. So well done, Sally. Thank you so much, Baz. We're very, very proud of our country music history. Thank you again for your time today. You're most welcome. Talk to you soon. Our Country, the Australian country music industry podcast, is a production of Radio 2TM Tamworth. Our host is Sally Ann Witten. Production is by Jared Brooke and Scott McLaren. And our executive producer is Gavin Flanagan.